Good afternoon, everyone. It's wonderful to see you all gathered here today for this important time of worship, of challenge, of prayer, and of reflection. My name is Austin Cardi, and I'm the pastor of Boulevard Baptist here in Anderson, and it has been my honor to partner with my friend Dr. Ann Coma, pastor of Welfare Baptist Church, along with numerous other local clergy and faith leaders to organize this urgently needed event that has brought us together today. So I stand here today so as to welcome you and also to give you a brief overview of what to expect in this service, for ultimately that is what this is, a worship service. However, this is not going to be a typical worship service. We will have no hymns or music or sermon, but it will instead be a worship service of information and of challenge and of prayer and of response. To that end, we will soon be hearing from three different esteemed speakers. Mr. Michael Cunningham, Vice President of Community Health Partnerships at AnMed Health. Ms. Lynn Dingle, owner of LD Marketing Group. And City Councilwoman, Dr. Beatrice Thompson, each of whom will be speaking today on a separate issue of systemic injustice. After each speaker is finished with his or her presentation, another member of the Anderson community will lead us in a prayer about that particular area of injustice. That is asking God to give us wisdom and discernment into how we can best affect change in that particular area, and then asking God to burden us with the boldness to act. Then after all three speakers have presented and each issue has been prayed about, Ancoma will offer us a challenge and a call to reflection and commitment. In just a moment, I will hand the microphone off to our MC for the event who will lead us through the rest of our service. But before I do, a few quick words surrounding my hopes for our time together today. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, the people of Israel have just been forced into exile in Babylon. And they find themselves hopeful for a comforting word that will ease their fears of a long, drawn-out experience. And so it is that there are no shortage of well-fed, well-heeled, propped-up court prophets who are more than happy to tell these Israelites what they want to hear. Quite famously, there is the court prophet Hananiah, who makes a big show of announcing his own purported vision from God, saying, Hear now the word of the Lord. This will all be over soon, and soon there will be peace again. And at Hananiah's words, all the people cheer for joy, and confetti falls from the sky, and puppies leap over rainbows, and all is well with the world. For the prophet Hananiah, the smooth-tongued Hananiah, has just promised them that it's really not that big of a deal, that it's just a passing moment. But then the prophet Jeremiah steps in. And while Jeremiah would like to be as sanguine as Hananiah, while Jeremiah would like to be as rosy and as gleeful as Hananiah, he simply can't. Because Jeremiah knows that the problem is far greater than that. That the thing they are facing is far more difficult than that. That the underlying issue goes far deeper than that. And so it is that Jeremiah famously says, the prophet who prophesies peace will only be called a true prophet when there really is peace. 
And then he says, speaking to people like Hananiah, you people cry peace, peace, when there is no peace. Well, I tell that story to get us started this afternoon so as to confess this. For far too long, people like me, that is, pastors of predominantly white churches, have too often been like Hananiah. In our pulpits crying, peace, peace, when there's been no peace. And please allow me to say, most of us have not done this with malice or insincerity. Most of us have not done this with hatred or ill will. Instead, most of us have done this out of an abundance of ignorance and shallowness. For we have simple-mindedly understood peace as the mere absence of conflict, not as the presence of justice and wholeness and equity. And we have been wrong. And it is time we repent of it, confess our desire to change from it, and begin learning how we might become advocates for true justice in our communities and become humble agents of change in an unjust world. In the Old Testament, the primary word for justice, mishpat, is used over 200 times. And rather than merely referring to a correct response to wrongdoing, mishpat justice means instead giving people what they are due. Treating one another not only equally, but equitably. Meanwhile, the Old Testament has another word often translated in English as justice, and that word is zarikah which refers to all of creation being in right relationship, to individuals being in right relationship with one another, to social systems being in right relationship between the people and the systems, and to the people and the systems being in right relationship with God Almighty, the Creator. And this is why Zadikah justice is often translated in English as righteousness because it is the form of justice that deals with right living and right relationships. So then in the scriptures we have mishpat justice, meaning equity, zadikah justice, meaning right living, and taken together these describe true, robust, full biblical justice. And so having said that, my hope for our time together today is that as these issues of injustice are brought into the light of God's deep desire for an equitable and righteous and flourishing world, that we white folks would listen with open minds and receptive hearts, prepared to be challenged and perhaps changed, that you from the black community would accept the sincere apology from people like me, who have far too often mistaken the mere absence of conflict in our own lives, for the substantive peace God demands for everyone. And that together we might all form a new coalition of people committed to making it here in Anderson ever more as it is in heaven. All throughout the scriptures when God calls people to the hard work of standing up for what is right in the world and for showing up even when the circumstances are difficult and overwhelming, in such situations, all through the scriptures, God's people respond to that call by saying, Here I am, Lord. 
Here I am, Lord. People of Anderson County, here today we are. And so in the words of the prophet Amos, might justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amen. It's my honor now to introduce you to my friend, the Reverend Keenan Robinson, chaplain of Patrick B. Harris Psychiatric Hospital and our MC for this afternoon. Keenan. A big good afternoon to everyone here. I didn't hear nothing. If you're here, it means you care. If you're here, it means that you have seen the, the things going on in the news and you have seen the, uh, the, the riots and the protesting and you have seen just how important this is to all of us, African Americans, to white Americans, to all Americans, how important gatherings like this are. Before we begin, just a couple of few housekeeping items. We've got free water over there in the corner, as well as the bathrooms after you drink that water. It's, it's over here. And then if you don't have a mask and you'd like a mask, there are free masks as well. We're witnessing in America the collective grief from years of injustice. African Americans like me just want the Constitution, which, wants, uh, which speaks of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I consider myself a patriot in a lot of ways, and, and I love America. And I just believe that America can be better than what she is. And the only way that we can be better is these gatherings like this. So you'll hear, as my friend Austin shared, you'll hear from these speakers today. And as you hear from these speakers today, we ask that you, you reflect and you think about the things that they're saying and you think about what actions that you can take to help make us a better Anderson, a better South Carolina, a better America. Amen? So with that said, I'm going to invite up to the podium my friend, the Anderson County Administrator, Mr. Rusty Burns. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here today, and it was an honor when I was approached by Austin and Encoma with this idea and they said why don't we all get together and tell people how we feel and let's learn something today and let's learn how to be what we should all be every day and amen to Austin for your words because they're so true and again on behalf of the Anderson County Council City of Anderson and all the people who work for Anderson County just like I do thank you for taking time out on a beautiful Saturday and let's all here leave a little bit better, or at least think about being a little bit better. Thank y'all very much. 
We will hear now uh, the opening prayer from Dr. Curtis Hill, the pastor of New Holly Light Baptist Church in Pendleton. Would you bow your heads with me? Oh, Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Before the mountains were brought forth, even thy had formed the earth of the world. Lord, you've been there. God, here we are. A few of your children, a few believers, all because we care. We turn to you, the author and finish of our faith, the giver of every good and perfect gift. And we thank you for a new day of mercy. For you allowed us to lay down on last evening, touched us with a finger of love, and started us on another day. For this we are grateful. We thank you for all of those that have gathered together, showing by their ways and action that these are indeed times when we need to get together. For these are really times that try men's souls. But God, we are aware that you are in control. And because we believe that you are in control, we've gathered together to let our thoughts be known. Have your way as the author and finish of our faith, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Touch our hearts and our minds that we might allow your spirit to show up in our walk, to show up in our talk, to show up in the way that we live together. For God, we are well aware that we have no, you have no hands but our hand, no eyes but eyes. Work through us that we might do that that you would have us do. Bless now this event. Thank you for those that brought it together. And for those speakers, God, bless them as they would stand and declare what you have put in them. Lead God, direct us in everything that we do. And we give you praise and glory because we walk by faith and not by sight. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So the words of in, on injustice in healthcare, we've asked for Mr. Michael Cunningham to come. He is the vice president of Community Health and Partnerships. After which we will hear from a responsive prayer from Jay Keeve, the executive coordinator of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of South Carolina. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. All right. Uh, to I won't forget my home training to all of the pastors here this afternoon uh thank you and to all of our elected officials and others uh thank you for allowing us to be here um from some pastors i just met um and uh pastor austin and to some that i've known since they were a little bitty boy uh pastor anderson and uh for some like reverend hill who know whether he knows it or not um was very important to me because it was new holly light is where i would go on Sunday mornings while I was in college at Clemson. And those were important, important Sundays for me. Um, so 
Uh, I'm going to stick to, I think we have five to seven minutes. And so here's what we're going to do in those five to seven minutes. We're going to go through a little history. We're going to talk about a little current facts, then a pledge, and then a little bit more history, if that's okay. So uh, first with history, uh, there's been, to say the least, a unique interaction between healthcare and the different races, specifically the African-American race in the United States. Right here in South Carolina, we have Dr. James Sims. And for those of you who don't know, Dr. Sims was born in 1813 and he is known right now as the father of modern day gynecology. And he was from Lancaster, South Carolina. And the procedures and the surgeries that he perfected made him world renowned and his procedures are even taught today. And what many people may not know is Dr. Sims perfected those procedures using three African-American women slaves who he operated on repeatedly without anesthesia. And then you fast forward to 1932 and Tuskegee, Alabama and the Tuskegee experiments, which many of you have heard of, but maybe you didn't understand the, the impact that that had. So in 1932, the Tuskegee experiment began by introducing syphilis to some 400 farmers. That study continued all the way through 1972. 1945 is when they found an effective treatment for syphilis. Yet the study continued until 1972. But as a result of that, there's been these tremendous advances. And these are not the only stories. For many of African-Americans, there are also personal stories in your family where you have either experienced or felt some form of inequality based on the type of health care you either received or felt you didn't receive. And you say that, well, that was then, but what is the common, what is the today impact of some of those things? And uh, I have a, a book with me, and don't worry, I'm not going to read it. Somebody, some people ask me this. For the first time, South Carolina has put together what's called a state health improvement plan. And this document is a state health assessment, and it was put together by DHEC and a lot of partners, and it has a tremendous amount of information. But in this data that's been collected by our state for this health state health improvement plan, you'll find some of the following. The hospitalization rate for children with asthma for African-American children is 19.3 hospitalizations per 10,000 population. For white children, it's 4.5 per 10,000. The infant mortality rate for African-American children is 7.7 deaths per 100,000 births is 2.9 for white children. Low birth weight, 14.6% for African-American children, 7.5% for white children. In Anderson County, that difference is 17.6% for African-American children versus 6.9% for white children. Pregnancy-related deaths for African-American women is 41.9% for 100,000 births. For white women, it's 14.8 per 100,000 births. Diabetes, 
16.9% in the African-American community versus 11.7% in the white community. Hypertension or high blood pressure, 45.2% in the African-American community versus 38.1% in the white community. Breast cancer, interestingly enough, African-American women receive mammograms at 82.1% versus 73.5% for white women. But if you look at deaths from breast cancer, 27.9 out of 100,000 cases for African-American women versus only 20.9 out of 100,000 for white women. Mammogram screenings are good, but the outcomes don't follow that. What we're finding is that for African-American women, at least, there's more late-stage diagnosis. So here's the pledge after you've heard some of the data. And one other thing that I think is interesting, we, we now understand in healthcare that there's something called the social determinants of health, which means those things outside of medical procedures that have a huge impact on your health and well-being. We know those things are like income, access to transportation, access to insurance, geography, zip code, those make a huge difference. In Anderson County, the life expectancy on East Greenville Street, which is 81 North, is 81.7 years. Just across Murray Avenue, it drops down to 67.7 years. There are differences. There are differences. So our pledge as a healthcare system is just this. God has blessed us with two ears and one mouth. We will do more listening. We want to hear from you about how we can do a better job of meeting the needs of all the people that we are blessed with the opportunity to serve. How can we look at not your non-compliance, but what are your barriers to compliance? And what is our role in helping to lower those barriers? We want to hear not what we are going to do to you, but how can we be a partner in the treatment and the overall improvement of your health? So these are the things that we promise as a healthcare system. And then finally, as I take my seat, one more return to history. I believe if you look in the book of Daniel, you will find the story of the three Hebrew men. And when faced with a very difficult decision, they chose the more difficult path. Not that they were secure in the outcome, but because they were secure in the righteousness of their decision. So I encourage all of us today, as we sit here with decisions to make, some of which will be popular, some which may be wildly unpopular, we focus not on the outcome, but we focus on the righteousness of the decision that we have to make. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cunningham. Together, let us approach the throne of grace. O oh God, creator, sustainer, and redeemer of us, you are the one who saw all the days of creation and called them good. And when you saw humanity made in your own image, you declared it very good. You are the God who sees your creation you are the God who hears when we cry. 
You heard Ishmael's thirst in the wilderness and provided a well. You saw Isaac on the chopping block and provided a ram. You told Moses from the bush that you saw and heard the suffering of your people in slavery and you led them to freedom. You are the God who sees and hears your people and responds with power and love. You are the God whose seeing and hearing became personal in the life and work of Jesus the Son. You saw and heard the cries of captive Israel and declared you are the one to bring sight to the blind, who releases the prisoners and sets the oppressed free. You walked among your creation and heard the cry of a sick daughter and you healed her. You saw blind men and restored sight to them. You heard the pleas of a hemorrhaging woman, a crippled man, lepers and paralytics. You brought them all to wholeness. You are the God who sees and hears your people. And you hear how we cry out now for those who suffer injustice and unequal access to health care, to miraculous and healing balms of modern medicine. We confess that many of us have neither seen nor heard as well as you do. You gave us, who are made in your very image, the creativity and power and resources to join in your work of healing. But we have divided and hoarded and charged and ignored and abused when we should have, as a society, shared and broadened and healed. We know you hear the cries when black people are over one half the deaths from COVID-19. We know you see that black people are at greater risk for high blood pressure and diabetes and stroke. We believe you care that black people are 70% more likely to die before the age of 65 than their white neighbors. When black kids suffer from asthma at a higher rate, when infant mortality in the black community is more than double in the white community, when three times as many mothers die. God who sees and hears. Forgive us for failing to see and hear. Open our eyes, ears, and hearts so that our hands and minds can work to overcome racist disparities. Give us courage to acknowledge that collective action must accompany our faith conversions, actions that put in place the mechanisms for access and thriving and prosperity in the black community so that there might be fullness of life for all people. God who sees and hears and saves, renew today our salvation and turn us toward one another that your will may be done on earth as you have shown is your will for heaven, health, wholeness, and eternal life. Through the great physician, we pray. Amen. Amen.
Our next speaker is a friend of mine. Met her when I first moved to Anderson County. Come to find out, she went to uh, one of the best colleges in the land, Benedict College in Columbia, South Carolina. An another tiger. And so it's my pleasure to introduce to you who uh, Lynn Dingle, the owner of LD Marketing Group. She will bring words on economic injustice, and then we'll ask Mr. Maxie Agnew, who's the owner of A&W Travel in Belton, South Carolina, if for him to come and give responsive prayer. Good afternoon. First, let me thank um, Keenan and the committee for inviting me to be with you this afternoon. This is a very important discussion for me. I have three African-American sons and one African-American grandson. Watching what is going on in this country right now is very personal to me. It touches me deeply. My sons, two of my sons live in Dallas, Texas, where we all know there is very systemic racism and the police department is very discriminatory against African-American males. I pray for my sons every day as they leave their house to go to work to the store that they will return home. So as I stand here today, I am not only standing here for this community, but I'm standing for my sons. I, would pr I pray every day that my sons and every son and daughter in this country is able to walk freely without scared, being scared, without being judged, only for the content of their character, not for the color of their skin. So as we partake in this exercise today, I'm not going to stand here and speak to you because it's hot. We're going to do an exercise today. So at this time, I would like for three volunteers to come forth. Keenan has three signs that I need three people to hold up for me. And I want everyone to participate in this exercise today. So if I could get three volunteers to come forth, if I can get one, if you could just come this way because we're going to, to group up. If I can get one right here in the center, that would be great. And I can get one over here on this side. The title of this exercise is called Take a Stand. The objective is to allow people to have an opinion on various statements. We all know that as individuals, we all, we all don't agree on everything and everyone has an opinion. But what we want to take from this exercise today is to understand that people are entitled to their opinions, people are entitled to their beliefs. What we are to do is respect someone's opinion, to respect someone's belief, and to not cast judgment upon them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a few statements. This exercise can take over an hour. At its best, it takes an hour and a half. But we're only going to do it for just a few minutes today. I'm going to read a few statements, and what I'm going to ask everyone here to do today is after I make this statement, I want you to go to one of three sections. Agree, 
which is here to my left, neutral here in the center, disagree here to my right. If you agree with the statement I make, please go to that section. And what I would like after everyone gets there is to, I want one person in that group to tell me why you went to agree, disagree, or neutral. If you do not have a mask on, I, plea, I ask that you please not participate. I'm not discriminating. I'm just trying to keep everyone safe. So if you do have a mask on, please participate in this exercise. So at this time, I want everybody to stand up. It's only going to take a few seconds. We're not going to do the entire exercise. And the people behind me, I want you to participate as well. The first statement. Your socioeconomic background affects your intelligence. Your socioeconomic background affects your intelligence. Do you agree? disagree or are you neutral please take your places at this time your socioeconomic background affects your intelligence your socioeconomic background affects your intelligence agree disagree neutral and don't be afraid to go where you want to go. You don't have to feel pressured to go anywhere or go just because your friends are going. Go where you want to go. Your socioeconomic background affects your intelligence. Agree, disagree, neutral. Okay. It seems the majority of people disagree with that statement. We have a few that are neutral and a few that agree. If I could get someone who agrees with this statement to just kind of yell out, tell me why do you agree with this statement? Your socioeconomic background affects your intelligence. Anyone want to tell me why you went to agree? What she said was the founder of the Montessori school stated that there are optimal points that, that children need to have, there are environments that children need to be in to learn, and if they don't learn in those environments, then they don't get those optimal points. Is, am I correct in, in saying what she, what she said? That is why she agrees. Neutral. Why are you neutral on that subject? He said he agrees with what she said, however, that can be overcome. And it's not the only thing. She says she's a retired community college teacher and she sees people come from, from much and come from little. 
and it's all about the individual. Let me get someone from disagree. I have a lot of people in disagree. Why do you disagree with this statement? Anyone? Raise your hand so I can see who's talking. He said he believes it affects the opportunity that you have, but not your overall intelligence. Okay, great, great, good start. Okay, let's get ready to mix it up a little bit. Next statement. Discrimination debased, uh, I'm sorry, discrimination based on socioeconomic status is routine. Discrimination based on socioeconomic status is routine, agree, disagree, neutral. Discrimination based on socioeconomic status is routine. Wow, we have a mass exodus. Discrimination based on socioeconomic status is routine. Wow. Everyone agrees except three people. Neutral. Why are you in neutral? I'm sorry? Routine means that it happens constantly. It happens all the time. It is something that happens on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, do you want to tell me why you're neutral? Are you neutral or you disagree? Okay, he says he's neutral because he doesn't see it all the time. Either one of you have anything else to add to that? No? Someone in agree, tell me why do you agree? I'm sorry? He said it's baked into the system and it happens all the time. I'm, I, I can't hear you. It's how we measure worth. Okay. People are looking, y'all are looking at me like y'all think I'm going to argue with you. I'm not. Again, this exercise is based on your perception is your reality. I'm not going to give you a right or wrong answer, but thank you for that. That's interesting that we have that many people in agree and no one in disagree and three in neutral. Okay, last one. If I have enough money for a down payment and an excellent credit score, I can live anywhere I want. If I have enough money for a down payment and an excellent credit score, I can live anywhere I want. If I have enough money for a down payment and an excellent credit score, I can live anywhere I want. Agree, disagree, neutral. If I have enough money for a down payment and an excellent credit score, I can live anywhere I want.
So you're kind of in between neutral and agree. Is that where you're, <laughs> you're trying to decide where to go? Okay. Okay. So the mass exodus this time went to disagree. We still have a few in neutral and a few in agree. Someone in agree. Why do you think that statement is true? She says credit scores carry a lot of purchasing power. Did you say anything else? Okay. Credit scores carry a lot of purchasing power. Disagree. Someone, why do you disagree? She said redlining. Just because it's made an illegal practice does not mean that it's not still practiced. Anyone else in disagree? Housing discrimination still exists. You had something? Okay, she said that we may have the down payment, we may have the excellence credit score, but there are certain reasons underlying reasons that we cannot move into certain neighborhoods. Neutral. Okay. Okay, great. Did everybody hear that? Okay. Good. Thank you guys so much for participating in that. As everyone goes back to their seat, usually when, when we do this exercise, at the end of the exercise, we'll all come back together as a big group and we will discuss the, the statements, the issues, and the viewpoints. The one thing that we always remember is people are entitled to their opinions. People are entitled to feel the way they feel. People are entitled to think the way they think. The key here is to be respectful. And I think that is what everyone wants in life, regardless of race, creed, color, religion, or nationality, is to be respected. So as we leave here today and remember this exercise, just remember because someone doesn't look like you, someone does not have the socioeconomic background that you have, someone doesn't have the 850 credit score, someone doesn't have the $75,000 down payment for a house, they still want to be respected. Thank you for participating today. And again, thank you for allowing me for, to do this exercise. Good afternoon to each of you. 750 BC, God allowed his prophet Amos to pen these words 
I do believe it's talking to those who have and their treatment to those who have not. No shade on those who have, but their treatment to those who have not is my belief of what this scripture reflects. Amos 5.21, I hate, I despise your feast of days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. 750 BC. 750 years later, Christ taught in a time when I like to say when time stood still. <clears throat> He taught the same basic message. How you treat the have-nots really reflect your heart. And then 1900 years later, a servant came on the scene and said the same thing, let justice roll down like waters. So now 50 years later, as my children can say, the funk is on us. <laughs> What are we going to do about that passage? God, our Father, we thank thee for this day and for this opportunity to share. We thank thee for these thy people who by their presence are saying they want to hear, they want to see, and they want to be difference makers. We thank you, Father, what has occurred in the past because it has made us stronger if we have listened but we don't want to trip over something behind us. We want to move forward. And we want to move in a steady manner that pleases you. So, Father, look upon all of us, no matter what race. Help us to see how we can make things better. And help us, Father, to speak up when the opportunity presents itself. And not be silent and being an accomplice. So we thank you, Lord God, for who you are. We thank you for who you have made us to be. And we vow to seek your face to grow stronger in the future and do your will. This remnant pledges that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As our next speaker prepares to come up, and this is um, in the person of Dr. Beatrice Thompson, our, one of our city council uh, women. And we thank God for her and her service to Anderson for a number of years. As she comes up to speak the words on criminal justice and the Anderson Dream Team, I just have to uh, echo my friend, Lynn and say, I, you know, I have three kids of my own. I have two sons. I have one daughter. And every time they walk out of the door and get in a car to drive off, I am praying. And the prayer is that they come home safely. That's it. 
that they come home safely, that they're not in, uh, in pulled over by uh, a bad officer because we have some good cops, some, go some good policemen, um, but not to be pulled over by a bad policeman who sees their color and not anything else that pulls them over for no reason. Like I've been pulled over in the past or pull a gun and, and point it at their face like it's happened to me and or, or sat on a curve and, and put in handcuffs just to so they can search my car unjustly uh, and for no reason. Um, and so I, I always pray before they leave the house and when they leave the house. So let's hear from Dr. Thompson. Good afternoon. It is such an honor for me to be here today and look out to your wonderful faces. And I see a lot of fans going, so I don't need to speak too long because I know you're hot. But I have to say this first. As Lynn spoke about her three sons, and you spoke about three, three, kids. three kids, I speak about my three sons. And I had the same idea and the same thoughts when my son leave the house. But I am just so honored today to be with you, ministers and all the others who are here, to talk about the conversation. The conversation is about justice and equality for everyone in our nation, but more specifically, here in our own community. And I know you're asking the question, this has happened for so long, so what time is it? Well, when we come together as a nation and as a community, we'll do what we need to do to address that question. Let me tell you a little bit about me. I am proud to be an Andersonian. This is my home, and it's always been my desire to help make it a better place where everyone can live, love, work, and play together. Programs, initiatives that invigorate and strengthen our community are necessary to make this happen. So the time has long passed for us not to work together to make that justice roll down like a mighty river. And I come to tell you today about how the dream team that you've heard about in Anderson has worked for so many years to help to make this happen. And I know you're asking, well, what is the dream team? What's that all about? And I'm glad you asked. The idea for the dream team came about in 2014 with the all of the information, all of the violence that was happening in Ferguson. And I knew that this kind of thing was just like a cancer. It was going to spread across our nation. And I asked myself, or I told myself, what about Anderson? Will it come here too? I prayed about it. I dreamed about it. And I asked God, what do you do about it? And he says, do something. So I pulled together a group of people in Anderson, policemen, people who worked in the community, ministers, 
black and white, and said, let's come together and begin to develop a relationship that would be proactive, dealing with the problem that probably would come. And our mission would be to address the problems as they came, to be proactive rather than be reactive. Now, we knew there were a lot of problems, such as housing, employment, health, community relations, all of these things were gaps in the minority community. Our priority at that time, however, was to develop a relationship between law enforcement and the community. And this, these folk included the police force. It included our captains, our sheriff, and then, of course, our black community. We needed to come together, first of all, to talk about getting to know each other. Who are you? How do we build a relationships? How do we come about to develop respect and trust for one another? Now, we knew this would be a hard task, but we were determined to put our hands to the wheel and move forward. So, how are we doing? Well, first of all, we came together, black and white, and sat around a table and put the conversation on the table, the conversation of racism that for so long we have been afraid to talk about. And so we talked about it. We knew that to make a difference, we had to first of all get to know each other, develop respect, develop trust, listen to one another. So we developed a, a task force, reaching out to everyone and particularly to our youth. We developed a, a partnership with our school district we have visited every single school in School District 5 and sat down with the kids. You'd be surprised how they think and how they can help. We sat with them and our little kids asked questions like, Mr. Policeman, why do y'all shoot people? And of course, the police who were there had to answer that. We talked about what we could do to make things better. We developed a citizen's Police Academy, which is going on right now. And we'd be happy for you to join that. Join the police, ride with them, see what they go through. We have developed a relationship with the churches. It's amazing how, and I, today I am so pleased to see African-American ministers, white ministers coming together. We've done that for a while. We visited each other's churches. We found out how we each other worshiped. What were our problems? How could we support one another? We have increased minorities in our police force. We have come to the park. Our policemen go out into the community. They talk with the children. They have something called coffee with the cops, getting to know the community. They go into restaurants. They serve as waiters and waitresses. They are beginning to, to really address the problems. Now, we continue to meet monthly, and we invite each of you to come visit with us. We meet sometimes at City Hall. We meet sometimes in the community. We meet sometimes in the churches, all churches, and we invite you to come because the only
only way to solve this problem is to work together. Now you ask us now, well, have you solved the problem? Absolutely not. Because you see, race as, racism is just like a virus. It grows and grows. And you see, we can't do anything about that virus until we do something about ourselves. Now to develop a vaccine for a virus takes a lot of work, as you well know. But you have to put the right kind of things in that work, the right kind of ingredients, such as love, trust, respect, to make that virus work, to make that vaccine help to destroy that virus. So we know there's still a lot of work to do. But your presence here today makes me feel hope. Hope that finally we are going to work together in Anderson to help to make it be a stronger relationship between our law enforcement and our community. And I would like to give special thanks to Rusty Burns in the county, but particularly to our city council, our mayor, our council members, and to particularly to our chief of, chief of police, Chief Stewart, and the policeman, Reverend Clark, who is here today, who has brought in our ministerial alliance. We all work together. And particularly, and I like her just to stand, it's Beth Batson. Beth, just stand up. Because she has worked so hard from the city of Anderson to pull us together to do things that make this become really what it should be. And on behalf of the Dream Team, I want you to know, all of you, that we pledge our support to your efforts and we know that you're working to make this community a place of peace and a place of justice. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 says, when we ask about what time is it, they said it's a time and a place for everything under the suns, everything under the heavens. So would you agree me, with me now that that time is now? that we need to work together. And I am so encouraged by this meeting today. I feel that we are working toward that to strengthen the relationships between everybody in this community. We want to put into our work to get that vaccine of racism cured. Where there is injury, we're going to have pardon. Where there is hatred, we're going to put in love. Where there is darkness, we're looking for the light. And where there is sadness, joy, and despair, hope. So I ask myself, that big elephant of racism, how do you eat an elephant? And I say we do it by one bite at a time, but not one small bite, one big bite that we take off, and soon we're gonna find that thing, that cure, that vaccine, that will make our city and our community what it should be. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed being here.
Let's give Dr. B another round. Been serving us for a very long time, and she keeps on going and going, and we thank God for her. Um, I just want to say how excited I am when I look out and I see the faces here today, and I'm looking, and I was just noticing uh, not just adults, but I'm looking, and I'm see, I see teenagers, and I see little kids, and, and how exciting that is because this is something that they'll remember for the for the rest of their lives and and action will take place whenever wherever they move whatever they do in life they'll they'll think about this and thinking about the importance of such an event i want to uh thank also the and i'm saying all of this because i'm about to step down in a little bit um the the visionaries behind this event dr ancoma anderson and dr austin cardi for um their vision in having this program and it's not a one and done it is it is something that will continue so continue to look out for advertising in regards to this we're going to bring for a responsive prayer um reverend james clark the pastor of wilson calvary baptist church will then have our challenge and call to reflection from reverend dr ancoma anderson of welfare baptist church and then we'll have our closing prayer from dr josh hunt of the First Baptist of Anderson. Amen. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We often talk to God. Solomon had talked to God, and God heard his prayer. I just read from the seventh chapter of Second uh, Chronicles. And we often, maybe unconsciously, uh, say these words, not realizing that God is listening and God is taking it to heart. One nation under God with liberty and justice for all. God is listening. And don't fool yourself. The book says, every idle word that we utter shall be brought into judgment. So there is no idle talk. Consider what we say and what we promise God as we go in prayer now. We thank God for all of you. Heavenly Father, we come just now in the name of Jesus. And, oh God, we come at an hour when there's trouble in the land. Trouble like we, many of us, never thought we would experience nor see in our lifetime. But Heavenly Father, we're reminded 
of Habakkuk, when he raised the question to God, Lord, don't you care that there is unjustness in the land? There is no justice. Don't you care that the righteous are being treated like the unrighteous? Where are you, God? All of this wrong is going on. God spoke to Habakkuk the way that he's speaking to many of us today. Habakkuk, open your eyes and look. I'm taking care of business even though you cannot see it. I'm moving amongst my creation. Open your eyes, Habakkuk. And you will realize that there's more forces working for you than against you. Open your eyes, Habakkuk, and you'll see that I'm going to do a new thing in this day that, that even those looking at it won't believe it. So, Heavenly Father, we come now and, and, and we may not realize, oh God, what you're doing right now, but some of us see it. You're moving in a mighty way. You can take the simple things and can find the wise. But, oh God, as we are moving through this space and time, we know that you have a cure on the way. You're moving in your own good time. And we realize, Heavenly Father, that you're opening the eyes of your children, you're opening the eyes of your church. And, and Heavenly Father, you want us to see, you want your church to see your creation as you see it, red, yellow, black, or white. We're all equal and precious in your sight. Help us, oh God, day by day to love one another that if one of our daughters or son comes under unjust attack, we feel it just like it's our own. Help us, Lord. To live day by day at peace with our brothers and sisters with love in our hearts. And oh God, you declare that when, when, when we get together, when believers get together, when the righteous get together, when the righteous pray, when the righteous get right in their service and their walk and their talk, then justice will roll down like a mighty stream. So help us. Be the fourth tellers and the fourth runners. Let us be clear that the Lord is moving right now. Heavenly Father, help us to have the courage to get up off the stool of do nothing and move with courage and excitement, knowing that our God is going on before us. Now we thank you for each presenter today who've opened our hearts and minds and helped us to see. We thank you for those who put this together. We pray, oh God, that we would run with the news and make the vision clear. Oh God, that we are not turning around, we're not defeated, but we are victorious because we serve a victor and his name is Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be more and more like him. And then... Let us not get weary. Let us not get tired and draw back. But give us what we need by way of your Holy Spirit to run this race. Run on and see what the end is going to be. Knowing that there's only victory and yes, in Jesus' name. Then, Lord, 
then Lord, when the day comes that you'll have to, you will call each one of us out of this life into immortality. Pray that when we stand before the righteous judge, that we will hear him say that we fought a good fight, that we finished our race. Come on over now, enjoy the liberties of your Lord. In his name we pray, amen and amen. First of all, let me say uh, good afternoon to all of you, and we thank you so much for coming uh, and sharing with us uh, in this occasion uh, as we prepare to make known the injustices that are so prevalent in our society today. As I prepare to move forward, first I want to take this opportunity, as I believe by your being here today, that God has given us a glimpse or a sneak peek at heaven. Secondly, I'd like to thank Anderson County, the Civic Center, other county officials, the Honorable Gracie Floyd for working with us to make this day possible. To the ministers of Anderson County, let's give them a hand clap if you will. The ministers of Anderson County to Austin Cardi, who has become a most beloved friend of mine over the past few weeks. To ACMO, Anderson County Ministers Organization, Apostle Bennett, who's the vice president, and to Reverend James Clark, who is the immediate past president, Pastor Curtis Hill, to those who have paved the way for my being here today. I am indebted to you. And lastly, but certainly not least, I thank God for my wife and my children as they often sacrifice in ways unknown, ways unknown to make me and to allow me rather to be who I am today. My brothers and sisters, as I'm here today, I'm reminded that it is no secret that our country, that our state, that many of our communities are living in the midst of a crisis. And I am of the belief as a pastoral caregiver that a crisis demands our attention. Not only does a crisis demand our attention, but a crisis demands a response from the people of God. We've got Rona, <laughs> we've got riots, and we have issues of rights. And as a pastoral caregiver, I, I believe very strongly that if we who are the people of God are going to move forward, then our issues must be named. We must identify the issues. We must put a name on them. We must confess the issues that plague and hinder our ability to stand in solidarity with one another. So in our coming here today, I want to make it known that we won't particularly resolve the issues that plague our nation, the issues of injustice that have been stitched into the moral fabric of this country. 
But I believe that acknowledgement, that confession, and exposure is the first step toward measurable change. I'm reminded here today of a story about a few athletic cats, if you will. These athletic cats had been trained to run with speed as fast as lightning. And as a result, they would often run in races for a cash prize. But one day, there was a, a less refined alley cat, if you will. This alley cat uh, had reportedly been adopted by a new owner. And this new owner decided that he was going to register his less refined and untrained alley cat in a race with these well-trained athletic alley cats. And needless to say, the alley cat lost the race. And when the owner of the alley cat was interviewed and was told, you should have known better than to put that alley cat in the race. Why did you do that? He said, well, I didn't put him in the race to win, but I put him there because I thought that exposure to a different atmosphere would do him some good. And so that is why we're here today. We're, we're here not to necessarily fix the issues today, but we're here to bring about attention and exposure to the issues of injustice. That said, I'd like to briefly lift the passage of scripture that is found in the gospel according to St. Luke. Jesus' introduction to uh, the ministry of liberation. He says in Luke chapter 4, the 18th verse, you find the words of our Lord now, Savior, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who have been oppressed. My brothers and sisters, as we consider that, that passage there, Luke, in his gospel, more than any other gospel writer, highlights with great emphasis the passion of Jesus, as he uh, the passion that Jesus possessed for the desperate, the depressed, the overlooked, and the abused persons in society. And it is important to note that in Luke's gospel that Jesus is not just this Jesus who comes to bring a good word, but Jesus is a social political revolutionary. Luke's Jesus is a shocking Jesus. He's a demanding and perplexing Jesus because he refuses to play by the rules of culture by further oppressing the already oppressed. Luke's Jesus lives by a different set of rules and he swims in a completely different stream. He speaks of the reversal of what is commonly accepted and what has been politely already acknowledged. Jesus measures folk by their character, not by their cash flow. Uh, Luke, 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 Luke's Jesus is a jarring Jesus. Luke's Jesus is a troubling Jesus. Luke's Jesus is a Jesus who has a disturbing presence, who goes against the grain of society. And we cannot come to an understanding, a clear understanding, I should say, of Jesus in Luke comfortably because here he presents a world that is turned upside down in order that the world might be turned right side up. Luke talks about a counterintuitive Jesus, one 
who defines himself as a champion of the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. Luke tells us of a counterintuitive Jesus, one who chooses tax collectors and fishermen to be his disciples, one who offends the power and defends the weak. He tells us of a counterintuitive Jesus, one who always sides with the underdog and seldom takes the expected positions on religious questions of the day. Luke tells us of a counterintuitive Jesus, one who, pre who predicts his death on a cross and goes to Calvary with his eyes wide open. And so, here it is that Luke writes to a community of Christians living under oppression during the Roman regime who desperately wanted less challenge, less sacrifice, less commitment, who wanted to chip the hard edges off of Jesus and to mute his confrontational message so that they could assimilate him into the dominant culture. But Luke's Jesus makes no attempt to accommodate those sensibilities, but he confronts them, counters and challenges the, way the, the ways of the world. And we here today are invited not to fix that Jesus, but we are invited to follow that Jesus. Yes, what are you saying? I'm saying that he has invited us to follow him in turning uh, the world that is upside down, right side up. He invites us to follow him by making righteousness known in an unrighteous world. He invites you and me to follow him, to join him in bringing about justice in an unjust world. And what we need to understand is that where we seek justice or when we seek justice, seeking justice implies that an injustice is already readily present. To bring about the work of justice, uh, uh, to bring about justice, that means that an injustice is, uh, that an injustice has already been present. Where, wherever there is an injustice, we have to understand that as children of God, those who are called by God should be present fighting on behalf of justice. What good? is a Christian education if one ultimately does not use it to fight against the entities of empire and the institutions that are the enemies of God. What good is a Christian education if we are not willing to release those who are oppressed and we must understand that the work of justice is not just a work that is now, but it is a work that is now and a work that is yet to come. So what then must we do? We must follow him to turn our world right side up. We must follow him to lift up righteousness. We must follow him to accept the invitation to make justice known. Uh, we must follow him in this work well perhaps you're asking what can i do to turn a world that is upside down and turn it right side up how can i serve to deliver righteousness to an unrighteous world well can i bring about justice to an unjust world well i'll tell you you must use your voice you must use your presence you must use your influence we must use our collective or we must use our collective political and economic power on behalf of those 
who are struggling in the trenches of life. We must advocate for access to quality early childhood development. We must advocate for nutritional programs and educational services and accessibility and comprehensive health and mental health coverage. Uh, we must advocate for these things because these are seldom budgetary priorities of the state and national government and yet as representatives of the liberating power of God, we are called to highlight and to promote these initiatives for the sake of justice. Biblical passage that I've lifted in your hearing today, we look at this through the lens of the 21st century. We see this where folk are oppressed, where people find themselves in captive. We, we look at this through the lens of 21st century where incarceration is an epidemic. We approach this text in a historical moment where there is an epidemic involving mass incarceration. In the United States today, there are 2.3 million prisoners in our criminal justice system, another 5 million involved in the process either due to probation or parole situation. The United States controls or contains rather roughly 5% of the global population, but yet have 25% of the globe's known prison population. The incarceration rate in the United States is five times higher than the average incarceration rate of the rest of the world. Incarceration for crimes that has had or have had disproportionate impacts on minority communities. Despite virtually, and hear me well, despite virtually identical levels of, of crime across racial and ethnic lines, while post-incarceration re-entry programs are haphazard and oftentimes non-existent, undermining efforts at rehabilitation in black families, uh, therefore limiting black family stability, limiting public safety, and making it extremely difficult for black ex-offenders to become full-fledged contributing members of society. God is calling us to turn this world that is wrong side, that is upside down. He's calling us to turn it right side up. He's calling us to lift up righteousness. He's calling us to make justice known in an unjust world. And not only are injustices present in our criminal justice system, but injustices are equally present in our capitalistic economic economy. Well, a, a capitalistic economy. At the dawn of the modern civil rights movement, it was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Jr., who wrote in his 1958 book, A Stride Toward Freedom, that justice has inseparable twins. And he goes on to name those inseparable twins. He names them as racial injustice and economic injustice. I mention this because Economic experts tell us that if corporate giants fall, that we can expect an economic meltdown in America. Uh, wealth, uh, they tell, tell us, that it trickles down rather than trickles up. The U.S. economic crises preci uh, precipitates a spiritual and moral crisis that is at hand. And we must no longer wait 
to defer the issue. And I believe that in Luke's gospel, I believe that Luke's Jesus is one who is concerned about the economically oppressed. Now there's a story, many of you have read it, many of you have read it of the rich young ruler who wants to know what's required to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on and he quotes the Decalogue of uh, the Ten Commandments, says you shouldn't commit adultery, murder, you shouldn't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your mother and your father. And to which the ruler says, I, okay, I've got that. That's, that's no problem because all of that stuff is, I, I know how to treat folk. I, 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 I know how to deal with individuals, but, but he didn't realize but that there was something more. There was one other thing. To this, the ruler, the magistrate, basically responds, no problem, you're, you're right, Jesus. I know the law. I followed the law all of my life. That, that's no problem. But, but Jesus says, I need for you to sell all that you have. Give the proceeds to the poor and follow me. Luke says that the magistrate becomes sad because he's rich. He does not dispute what Jesus says. He does not inquire as to whether there's a loophole, a tax loophole, in what Jesus requires or some special dispensation like an eternal life or heavenly treasures or a card that would allow him some benefits. He knows that he does not want to do as Jesus instructs. So he finds himself inherently sad. Then Jesus, with no attempt to make matters better, rhetorically says, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Lest the crowd had any doubt about the answer of hope for wiggle room, Jesus answers his own question. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I told this story because oftentimes when this text is preached, when it's talked about, the rich young ruler is typically judged, I believe, quite harshly. I wonder... However, if we would judge him with so much consternation, if we would hold up mirrors to our own materialism, and if we were honest about our own reflections, what do you mean? When American corporations pay workers minimum wage with few, if any, benefits, or build factories in developing nations where labor is outrageously cheap, uh, is outrageously cheap, which makes us, you and I, the recipients of material goods such as bigger TVs, cheaper clothes. Do we stand and put ourselves in place of the rich young rulers when politicians devise tax law after tax law? that aid big corporations in paying fewer taxes while raising taxes on those who are living paycheck to paycheck and we stand by, do nothing and say nothing. Do we align ourselves with the rich young ruler? But I'm challenging you today that when we see injustice, we ought not just see it, but we ought to say something. When we see injustice, we must open our mouths we must see it, we must say something, and we must be willing to sacrifice something in order to bring about justice. As I close here today, I'm reminded of a distant relative of mine and one who finds himself in the pantheon of American leadership, the Reverend Dr. Benjamin Elijah Mays. Benjamin Elijah Mays was a 20th 
century version of uh, of, of uh, version of America to uh, held 20th century uh, America to a higher version or a higher moral order through synthesis of religion and Christian education. Mays, a man who was born in Greenwood, South Carolina, a man who was born to rebel. He helped thousands of African-American men graduate from Morehouse College in Atlanta and placed within them the desire to not just do good, but the desire to give back to their communities. Mays did not allow his students the chance to think that by going to school, earning a degree, and graduating was their way of giving back to the black community, and nor was it a way that they could give back to society. But he challenged them, he preached to them, he taught them that education and righteousness, that education and righteous conduct goes hand in hand. And like Mays, I want you to understand today, like Mays, I want to make known to you today that God cares about justice, that God cares about the way that you and I care for one another. God cares about whether or not we're willing to love each other enough to not just see something, whether we love each other enough to not just see it, but do we love each other enough to say something? Do we love each other enough to sacrifice something? And so today, I've come to challenge you today. I've come to challenge you with this challenge. Let's turn the world right side up. Let's lift up righteousness and let's make justice known in this unjust world today. And here, my brothers and sisters, I would like to call you now, call you to a point of reflection and ask that you would join me in committing to reflection, to bring about justice in this unjust world. And so what I want you to do at this time, I want for you to take out your phones. Can you join me in pulling out your phones at this time? And there's a phone number that I want for you to enter. And I want for you to say yes, that I'm willing to stand up to injustice, that I'm willing to move forward to bring about equality starting in Anderson, South Carolina. And if you're willing to do that, here's the number. 845 Seven, six. And if you're willing to do that, simply write yes, write your name, write your email address. As we look forward to staying in contact with you, as we seek to not only make this move of making justice known in Anderson County, we don't seek to make this a, 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 a temporary moment, but we seek to make this a permanent move in the right direction. And so my brothers and sisters, I challenge you, I challenge you to be committed to reflection, to be committed to justice. And again, that number is 845-76. If you're willing, simply reply yes, write your name, and also send your email address and also, my brothers and sisters, 
there's one more thing that I need of you today that I'd like to ask of you today. If you're willing to be a part of this work, I want to ask that you would also type in your phones. If you would go to our website, Anderson for Equality, and we're asking that you would give for these efforts as we seek to bring about educational opportunities, as we seek to bring information that would help us to remain faithful to bring about justice in an unjust world. Thank you, my brothers and sisters, for your time. Anderson for equality. Thank you. Sure, there's one correction. When you text the phone number, please write equality. Send equality to that text number, to that number. And once you text equality, you will receive a text message back that will prompt you to enter the information that I made known to you earlier. Again, we thank you and we pray that you would be a part of this movement as we seek to make Anderson a better community. Thank you. As we close, I am reminded this afternoon of the words of Cornell West who said that justice is what love looks like in public. And John teaches us that perfect love casts out fear, which means to me that perfect love must cast out injustice too. Let's pray together. God, we pray that some fear has been cast out this afternoon by perfect love. By your perfect love, God, give us eyes to see your image in every person and the will to act accordingly. By your perfect love, God, strengthen our souls with the courage and resolve we need to resist fear in the presence of hatred and division. By your perfect love, God, renew our commitment to stand up for those who cannot stand on their own and to stand alongside those who can. By your perfect love, God, may we go forth to do the divine work of advocating for justice all the days of our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we offer this prayer. And all God's people said, Amen. Just once more, I want to make sure that you know that number. That number is 84576. And again, text equality to that number and you will receive a prompt back as a response. Again, that number is 84576. Thank you.